Acts chapter 6. We've been spending the last couple of weeks um, this idea of the, the, uh, the early church, the church of Acts, life together. And the, you've seen in our bulletin this idea of fellowship and koinonia and things that we are doing to increase that, uh, of trying to cultivate this idea that we are uh, a family and a household and the body of Christ and that we are literally doing life together. And that's what's so encouraging to me. Uh, our Sunday night small group, the topic of our Sunday night small group is trusting God and the idea that no matter what we go through this side of heaven, that the Lord is the Lord and, and uh, we are his people. And so even when those things happen that we don't want to happen, how often does that happen? Daily. Things happen that we do not want to happen. Uh, and I always remind myself, if, if everything about this, if everything happened the way I wanted it to happen, that would almost make me God. I had one of our children ask me today if I was God. And I said, no, I am John the Baptist, but I'm not God. What kind of world would it be if I was sovereign? Georgia would win a national championship every year, right? There would be no University of Florida football program because they would never win and they would just band it. But that's, that's not the case. Uh, so if, if everything goes the way I want it to go, then I'm saying that I want to be God. And if I live life based on the idea that there is a God in control that I can love and trust in, then as things happen in the midst of doing life, I can remain faithful because God is faithful. And so sometimes for us as believers that we know this, it's just good to be reminded of this. And so it's great to know that we have a, a picture of the church found in Scripture that gives us a great understanding of what faithfulness is all about. How can we just be faithful to the things of the Lord no matter what happens that we can trust God and remain faithful because of His faithfulness. So turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and we're just going to look at the, the faithfulness of the church. Think about it from this standpoint. Situations are going to come up. How do we deal with it? So that we can stay on task and we can do what God has called us all to do as born-again believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing, you might remember where we've been the, as we've just taken big chunks, of little, little snapshots of, of big pieces of Acts, the church is growing. And God is doing remarkable things through the church and the preaching of the gospel and the word of God and the spirit of God. And so wonderful things are going on in those days when the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in their daily distribution. Real quick, let me give you a little synopsis of what this little, what's taking place. A Hellenist would have been of a, 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 a Jewish descent that would have moved out of Jerusalem, let's say, and picked up the Greek way of life. They were Jews, but they had, they had moved away uh, over different political, economical things, and, and they would have moved out of Jerusalem. So they would have been Jews, but they would have been Greek in culture. They would have spoken the Greek language. The three prominent languages that would have been going on uh, in this culture would have been Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. And so you've got a, a group of people that were Jews, but yet they, they were more Greek. 
but they were in the midst of the Hebrews who were Jews. So you see the picture? This is the early church. And you've got a group of folks that have one way of doing things. I tell, I'm telling you the Church of Acts is Baptist. You've got, you got a group of folks that do things one way, that love Jesus, and they, they do this way. Then you've got another group that do things this way, they love Jesus. Two different cultures, two different ways of looking at things that maybe are not necessarily scriptural, but impact your life. So a Hellenist is a Jew that acts like a Greek. And so they're all here in Jerusalem. Now the widows in Jewish culture was a, a very important thing. In the, in the early church, we didn't have government to take care of one another. We didn't have Social Security and Medicaid and Medicare and all of those things. And so in the Jewish culture, and you need to listen to this family, in the Jewish culture, it was very important you take care of your family. Very important that we take care of our family. But in that circumstance where there was nobody to take care of someone, the church rose up and took care of one another. Now, what's kind of happened in our society is we've kind of gotten all off sorts. It's amazing how we've gotten so off sorts and so many different things. Today, in a lot of areas, we don't take care of our family. We expect the government to take care of our family. That's sad. You'd be surprised how many times as a pastor that the government is taking care of families because the family doesn't want to take care of family. In the Jewish culture, that would have not been under, there was no way you would have not taken care of your loved ones. But in that rare case to where there is no way nobody to take care of a person, the church as Christians just stood up. Again, it's so backwards. I've had people call my office over the years I've been a pastor and say, well, you know my family member's a widow. The church better take care of her. And I thought, Lord, have mercy. That daughter is going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account of that. But in this setting, a widow is someone that has no family. There's no social security. There's no nothing to take care of this person. And so the church would come alongside these ladies and they would make sure their needs are met. So we've got Hellenists, Greek widows, Jewish widows. Needs are not getting met. The early church is just getting started. They were neglected in the daily distribution, which would have been food. And the 12, remember that Judas is no longer part of there, but Matthias has come on, and so there are now 12 disciples. And the 12 summoned the full number of all the disciples. I think it's interesting, and, and just side notes here, Paul never refers to the church as disciples, but Luke does. And that kind of fits Luke. Luke, the doctor that does a lot of investigating and had talked to a lot of people, and he realized that a, a true believer of Jesus Christ is a disciple someone that follows Christ. And so Dr. Luke tells us that they were disciples and they decided that it was not right for the 12. Now, so think, remember now, thousands upon thousands of people have come to faith in Christ. They are not meeting in a church because there is no such thing. The church is meeting in homes all over Jerusalem. Could you imagine 12 disciples trying to, to do the Lord's will to expand the kingdom of God and make sure that the widows are taken care of all across the city of Jerusalem and thousands and thousands of people meeting all over the city. Could you imagine what that would look like? And them scurrying around trying to make sure the widows are getting fed and everything's taken care of. No wonder there would have been a dispute. Therefore, they, they called the disciples, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. 
Tables meaning the distribution of food to the widows that would have had no meal, no husband to provide food, nobody in their family to work and feed them. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, so that we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's very important, the, the ministry of the word. I'm going to come back to that, ministry of the word. And when they had pleased the whole, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and a holy spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. It's also interesting to see the leadership of the church. The dispute rose from the Hellenists, which were Greek, and every one of these men have a Greek name. Those they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. Now when we see this, we don't see the word like for deacon. But this is where we see the beginning of the deacon ministry in the New Testament church. This idea of, of serving. Uh, it gets kind of confused in churches because different churches have different structure. Uh, but as you see in the New Testament, it is the, the elders that are, that are pastors and, and shepherds and they're leading the church and the apostles here. And then you began to see coming out of the early church servants to do the work of the ministry. And this is where we see the birth of what we call, and in Southern Baptist churches, our, our deacon ministry. And they are servants. The word literally means servant. So with the first picture that we see in the background of our deacon ministry is those that are serving the church body so that the ministry of the church can go forward. Now listen to verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Don't miss that. Many priests became obedient to the faith. What was a priest in the Jewish culture? They would have been mediators of the old covenant law. That would have been part of the religious gathering that would have been part of, of Christ and his execution because of what the New Testament, New Covenant stood for. Now we see the priests and their religion in the old covenant. They're coming to faith in Christ because they see the church being the church, taking care of one another, and they're meeting the needs within the body so that the gospel can continue to go forward and we're seeing many, many people saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning and as we walk through it word at word at a time, let us be encouraged that we too may be faithful, that we can stay on task so that your word can continue to go forth from our ministries. And this we just ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's walk through this, and I want us to look at the faithfulness of this church. But keep in mind, a situation arises, they deal with it, so that they can continue on mission. That's the big picture. Their own mission, a situation arises, they deal with that situation so that they can continue to be on mission. Notice there in the first part of one. We see the early church, and I think this is important. Sometimes we, we miss this. We see here in... in Verse 1 of chapter 6, you could say point 1, the church is already on task. The church already understands what it needs to be doing. Now, in our culture, that's confusing. You could do a, a poll of, of different churches. Why are we here? What do we do what we do? 
And so it's always a great reminder as we think about what would the early church do? What was their task? What was their mission? Today we have mission statements, purpose statements. We've got all these ways. we got you know core truth, common goals, strategy steps. I mean, you name it. You can Google churches and you can come up with all kind of stuff of trying to encourage their people. This is what we're about. But we have to ask ourselves, what are we about? If we don't know what we're about, we don't know what we need to be doing. Well, we need to understand what the early church understood that the mission of the church was. The mission of the church is God's mission. All we are doing is joining God in what he is doing. And you would ask yourself, well, what is God's mission? God's mission is simply this, his redemptive purpose to establish his kingdom. That's God's mission. It's a redemptive purpose to establish his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And that redemptive person is the purpose is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. That sinners might be saved and become followers of Jesus Christ. And the light penetrates the darkness and the kingdom of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ grows this side of heaven until the Lord returns. It's a redemptive purpose. That's the mission. The mission of God is his redemptive purpose throughout the ages to the ends of the earth. But we ask ourselves, okay, what were they on task for? Well, that's where we get the word missions. I'm not trying to make a play on words here. The mission is what God's doing. Missions is what we're doing. What are we doing? Missions, what we are about, is about being on God's mission. It is the people, the church of God, that are proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel message of Jesus Christ in the world in which we live so that the kingdom of God can be created. That's it. That's our mission. Our mission, God's mission is redemption. Our mission is joining God in redemption. Do you know how far off kilter we've gotten with that today? We have turned the mission into what do you need, what do you want? So could you imagine if I sent out a poll today, what do you need in church today? Could you imagine what we would get? We would have a list 14 million pages long about what each and every one of your needs are. And I will tell you what your need is, redemption. That's it. If your marriage is a mess, you need redemption. If your finances is in a mess, you need redemption. If you have no self-esteem, your, mission, your need is redemption. The, the ministry is redemption taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Church is not about us. So often in life we think about, well, God's mission is me and God. That is not true. God's mission is not just me and God. If that was the case, I don't need you. If my mission was just me and God, then we don't need Acts. God's mission is about me and God and understanding what I have in Christ, what I have in one another, and fulfilling what he has done with me and sharing that to the ends of the earth. That's what missions is. Joining God in what he is already doing as I demonstrate and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Redemption. Coming from one thing to another, from lost to found, to dark to light, to blind that now we can see. The early church never forgot that. That was their mission. Now, think about us as individuals. We are the church. Sometimes we think that the church is a group of people, and it is, but the church is individually. Guess what your mission is? To be on mission for the Lord. Your purpose in life is not where you work or where you go to college 
or what you enjoy, your purpose in life. I, I'm at the age now, something about 50. Everything changes at 50, I decided. Now I pay attention to my retirement quarterly statement. If you retire, based on what you're giving right now, at the age of 62, you will make this. Well, I got good news for you, people. I am going to be your pastor till I'm 200. <laughs> Lord just laid that on my heart. When I saw that and said, if you keep doing what you're doing now, and when you're 65, you'll do this. Well, praise the Lord. That's, I've always asked the Lord, how long do you want me to preach until I die standing right here? <laughs> but if you're not careful, it, wherever you are in life, that becomes your mission. I'm a college student. Everything is wrapped around being a college student. What am I doing I'm a 30-something. I'm just married. Everything wrapped around. Oh, I'm a kid. We have to take a step back, okay? We have to work. Some of us, most of us have to work. We have to make these decisions. We are in these seasons of life, and they are important to us, but that is not why we are here. We are here because of redemption and God's glory and God's kingdom and in worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, worshiping our Heavenly Father, and pouring our life into one another. That's why we're here. And as we make these decisions and we live through these things, it's like our study on Sunday night. As we go to the doctor and we get that report, as we lose our job, as we are disappointed in our children, as things happen that are outside of our control, we keep our eye on our mission and we know that we can trust God because this is His mission. And so I think it's important that we recognize that the early church was on task and they were faithful. But notice what happened in the midst of their faithfulness. Second part of verse one, a complaint arose. Well, can you imagine that? Being in the center of what God has asked you to do and you have a bad Monday. Anybody have a bad Monday this week? I don't need testifying time. You leave here and you're just walking on the clouds. You're just as tickled as you can be about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you just are so excited and then Monday rolls around and something happens before 10 o'clock that you did not want to happen but yet it happened anyway. Something arose. We have one of the most faithful churches we could ever see. But Church of Acts. Let's just say the picture of faithfulness is the Church of Acts. Would you agree with that? In the midst of seeing thousands coming to faith in Christ and the church growing in their mission for the Lord, a situation arises. I want to take a few minutes and look at this. Now, it's kind of funny. All throughout the week, I had a different word. That throughout the week, there was a problem arises. I didn't like the way that sounded. I like the way a, a situation arises. That's, that sounds better, doesn't it? A situation arose. What do we do when a situation arises in the midst of us as a people of the Lord? and of a church. Well, let's see what they did. Notice that in the book of Acts, regardless what goes on around them, the church works through it. Here's the key. They work through it. They deal with it, but they continue to be the church. They may take a, a time out, but they get back on task as soon as possible. 
I made a note of some of these things. Just think about this. Think about the things that took place. Just looking at the book of Acts, all right? One, you have persecution from without. That says the church of Acts, you've got persecution from without. You've got, you got Peter and John preaching in Acts chapter 4, and all they're doing is just preaching, and they're arrested, and they're beaten, and they're hauled off to jail. That is persecution from without. That is in the world that we live in. That's a situation. How did they handle it? You remember that? They prayed and rejoiced. Now, I can tell you right now, if I don't know if I could say I'd pray and rejoice. You know what I probably would do? Whine and complain. But they didn't. So what do we do as a church? What, you know, when, we, when we say church, remember a church is individual. So yes, what do we do as a church, but what do we do individually as well? What do we do when persecution from the old outside comes at the church, comes at us because of our faith? We pray and we rejoice. You remember John and Peter, what they did when they were released, they just went to their family. They went to their friends. Remember what it said in the text? They went to their friends and they came to church and when persecution arose, they prayed and rejoiced. How do we respond when persecution comes? We also see in in Acts uh, chapter 5, we don't have time to, to go through all the things that took place. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? Let me just re- refresh your memory. There was some unfaithful and moral behavior within the church, and God dealt with it. You remember what it was about? It's one of those horrifying scenes, and a lot of times this church, it's kind of funny because a lot of times in church, we hate conflict. And a lot of people may disagree with this and say, well, I, you know, I, don't, I don't see that. I'm not a person of conflict, but when you're a pastor, you just have to deal with things when they happen. And so we're naturally, if we live in a dark world and we're light, we're going to face conflict because there's two oppositions going on here. Ananias and Sapphira, whatever was going on in their heart, they decided they were not going to be faithful with their giving, and it really angered the Lord. And so they came to church and brought this fake offering. You remember what God did to them? Peter had to say, could we get the ushers to come down forward and take the bodies and bury them? Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine what it did to the early church? The early church said real clear, don't mock God. Don't play with God. Because God will take care of who he needs to take care of. That was within the church. So think about it. When persecution came without, they prayed and rejoiced. When corruption and moral compromise came within, they just dealt with it and let God be God. Thus saith the Lord. There was no no problem with that. Why? Because God took care of it. But it was, here's the thing that we miss. It was from within the church. The devil loves to stir up things in the church because he knows it will get us off our task. So we have this biblical persecution. We have persecution without corruption from within. Acts chapter 6, number 3. You could say division and distraction, squabbling. 
This was not a, a moral compromise like Ananias and Sapphira where they died. Here we just have a situation again from within. And there was squabbling and there was things going on between Hellenist Jews and, and uh, Hellenist Jew widows and Jewish widows. But what did the church do? They determined there was an issue, and this is kind of a, a snapshot. They determined there was an issue, and they dealt with it. You see the underlying theme here? When something's not the way it's supposed to do, be, you deal with it. Corruption, you deal with it. Moral compromise, the church just dealt with it lovingly, obediently, faithfully. Then later on, it gets even better. In Acts chapter 15, we have doctrinal compromise. Could you imagine a church not agreeing on doctrine? We have the early church meeting, and they're trying to decide what does it mean to be a Christian? We're all these Jews, and we have our Jewish way of doing things. What does it mean to be a Christian? As we take the gospel message to the ends of the earth, what is this message going to look like? Doctrinal compromise. They need to become Jews. No, they don't need to become Jews. And so we had all this going on. That still kind of goes in today. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? You repent of your sins, and you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the short version of it. I'm a sinner. He is holy. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. My sin's the problem. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. I repent of my sin. I place my faith in Christ, and I'm saved. Nothing else. No sacraments, no works, no nothing else. So Acts chapter 15, there's doctrinal compromise. What did they do in the midst of doctrinal compromise? Godly men sat down, and they engaged one another with the truth. And they figured it out. Amazing. Dealing with it. When corruption comes at you, pray and rejoice. God is on his throne. Here's the thing about corru you know, corruption from the outside. It's not against you. If I'm living a Christian life and the world begins to persecute me because I'm a Christian, who are, they, who are they upset with? Who are they persecuting? God, it isn't against me. I'm just a messenger. I'm standing on God's word. And if I'm not standing on God's word, that's a different thing. But if we're living a faithful Christian life and the world is opposed to it, they're not opposed to you. They're opposed to God. When things happen internally in the church, whether it's moral compromise and Ananias and Sapphira or it's doctrinal compromise like in Acts chapter 15, we just deal with it. We look at what's going on. We deal with it based on truth. We engage one another in gospel truth dialogue. 20-something years as a pastor, you deal with all of this and it never stops. That's what I think is so... Let's you a little in on this. Several months ago, Miss Helen Perkins... Um, came and visited with us. She was a dear, dear friend of mine from Indiana, and she'd been a Christian her entire adult life. You know, one of those I'd been saved when I was before, nine months before I was, you know, I was, I was in church, not say, I was in church nine months before I was married, you know, uh, born. You know where I'm going with that? Been in church all her life. Came to work in her 60s at the church. It was my secretary, the ministry assistant there, just me and her. And she was like, that first Monday, she said, this is going to be great. I'm working at the church. Pastor John, there'll probably be harp music playing in the background all week. 
and we'll just be praying and doing church stuff. And this is going to be the greatest job in the world. By Wednesday, she said, this is not what I thought it was going to be. These people are crazy. Well, we're Baptists. It is what it is. We're just a mess. We're just redeemed. But you know what she was thinking? This is going to be the best job in the world. Everybody's just going to be great and wonderful and there's never going to be any conflict because this is the church, the bride of Christ. She realized real quick, yep, I'm still living this side of heaven. Even as you work in the church, we're still part of it, right? As long as we're part of the process, there's going to be issues that come up. You're never going to get to a point and say, whew, we're done with that situation. Now we can finally move on. No, just hold on for the next one. Because that's the world that we live in. I mean, you think about your body. Every time I go to the doctor, there's a new, y'all didn't tell me, I'm telling you, 50, it's downhill. Halfway dead, I'm telling you. And you think, whew, I finally got this taken care of. Just wait till the next doctor visit. We're never going to be a perfect church and a perfect people. But what makes it so difficult is we won't stay on mission. Church is not about me. Church is about God and his glory and the story of redemption. That's why we gather, to be encouraged, to grow in our faith, to, to have a desire to take the gospel to the end. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm chomping at the bit to take my, my, my chainsaw to the panhandle. I know some of y'all think about that. I am a chainsaw wizard, I'm telling you. It's kind of scary to think about. I, I love running a chainsaw. Maybe it's from my, my lineman days. And I was sitting there thinking, but you know what? I may not be able to get to go this week, but you know what I can do? I can give so that others can go. See, that's exciting to me. I may not be able to go to the panhandle, but I can give money so that others can stay there and be funded doing the work of the ministry. See, everything we do, we stay on task and we think big picture. We think God's redemption. We think God's glory. And so we see the church, a situation arises. Let's think about a, why I use the word situation. Situation basically is just circumstances that, that come into our life, a situation. But if we don't deal with the situation, then the situation becomes a problem. And if you, if you Google problem, a situation that can be harmful. And so the situation arose, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to handle this biblically so that we can remain faithful to the task, God's story of redemption, so that it does not become a problem? Because once a situation becomes a problem, then I guarantee you that problem becomes a distraction, and then when we're distracted, we are off God's mission. And that's where a lot of our churches today have been. We get focused on the problem, and there's a distraction, and we lose our mission. So a situation does arise. They will always arise. They will arise from the outside and they will always arise from the inside. But not only do we see the, 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 the problem, we see a solution. Look at verses two and six. Remember that we are a body. We are a family. No church is perfect. No family is perfect. 
but we do understand what makes the church different from a family is that Jesus Christ is the head of his church and he loves us dearly. So we see that the solution is provided also from where the problem came from, within. It's just dealing with things from within. And the early church was wonderful at this. All right, so let's take a closer look at that situation. It doesn't appear to be intentional. It's not like a, a person comes into the church and stirs things up. It's just a, a natural thing that happens once people begin to gather. You've got people scattered all over the, the city of Jerusalem. You've got widows that need to be taken care of. The church is going to step up and take care of them, but there's only 12 of them, and 12 people can only do so much. Statistics say, depending on the pastor's personality, because usually in a Southern Baptist church, we usually look at the senior pastor as the guy. I mean, that's kind of in your mind, agree? may not be right, but in, in the church's mind, the, you know, we may have other reverends, but we've trained for some reason churches. We only have our, our senior pastor, which I don't necessarily agree with. They say one pastor can effectively minister by himself 100 to 150 people, 75 to 150 people, depending on his personality and what he can do personally. And so if you've got a church that has a pastor that's doing all of this, they'll never grow beyond a certain point because he just cannot effectively minister that way. There's not enough of him to go around for everybody else. And so what happens is the church never grows beyond everyone being ministered to that, that needs to be ministered to. So that's what was happening in the early church. The widows were saying, listen, we're not eating. There's no food here. I mean, there's nothing. I have nothing to eat. So what did they decide to do? Well, we see the solution. It's not biblical. It's not immoral. It's not unethical. It's just something that came up. It's just something that naturally arises in our life. And I, I will say this. Where you have people, you're going to have situations. Where people are gathering, there are going to be situations. And there are problems that are going to come from those situations. And then after those problems arise, you're going to be distracted. You ever been, you know, it's like someone had said, if you ever joined any group, anybody ever been part of any group, you realize it don't take long for people to be involved with that and you're going to see situations. How do we handle the situations? Notice what they did. They initiated situation solvers. That sounds better than problem solvers. So this, the solution to the issue is found within. There's a situation, and so this is what the early church said. Hmm, we're going to have situations. There's only so many of them. We need some situation solvers. We need servants. As we would say today, we need deacons. We need people that solve situations. Notice the characteristics of these men here. As we look there in verses 2 and verse 6, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word and tables. Therefore, pick out among you seven men, good reputation. It means that their life demonstrates what they believe. It's just obvious. Full of the Spirit. When you're full of the Spirit, it's obvious that you're full of the Spirit. You can't fake that forever. They're men of good reputation. They're full of the Spirit. 
of wisdom. Wisdom is not facts. Sometimes we confuse that. You can be the most knowledgeable person in the world. Wisdom is not knowledge. Knowledge is facts. Wisdom is what do you do with those facts? Wisdom is living out knowledge. You know, it'd be like being a, a, a husband. You can read a book on what it means. To, I know what a good husband's supposed to be like. Da, 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 da. These are the facts. This is knowledge. Wisdom takes knowledge and applies it to everyday life. And the early church says, you know, we need some men that are full of the Holy Spirit, of good reputation, and are just wise. And we will appoint to this duty. Verse 4, so that we may devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. If we think about that ministry to the word, I want to, I want to fix, we don't probably have many preachers in the room. I may be the only one in here this morning. I don't know. Galen's here. Others, if you're a pastor, I'm not meaning to exclude you. I've heard pastors say this. They don't usually last very long in the ministry, but I've had pastors say this. Bless God, we're going to be an Acts church. And I need deacons that'll be deacons so I can pray and focus on the word. I'm going to sit in my study and pray and work on the Bible. I need men to do all this other stuff. God's called me to be in prayer and the word. They don't usually last very long. They usually find a little church they can go attend and they usually all sit together and they'll say, I got ran off for standing on the word. Okay, that's not what this means, okay? okay notice what the, the, the word says. The, the, the disciples said, listen, we need some men that can take care of these situations so that we can stay on task. Prayer, seeking the the, the wisdom and the love and the, the, the providential grace of the Lord in my intimate relationship through prayer and the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word is being a, an elder pastor shepherd that God has called you to be. It's living out the life of a shepherd and ministering to the people. It's not just studying the word. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this. I just am in the word. That's not what that means. Ministering in the word is preaching and proclaiming and praying and living. You think about what a shepherd does. He leads, he feeds, he cares, he protects, he serves. And all the text is saying here is, okay, we need, the solution is we've got to find some godly men that can take care of meeting the needs of a hungry widow so that the ministry of redemption can continue to go. Because if I'm a shepherd of the flock and I am feeding a sheep, I'm not taking care of all of the sheep, so we need some people to help. That's all that that means. This does not mean I am an ordained pastor of the word of God and all I do is work on sermons and pray. It means we need people to rise up and do the work of the ministry of the church so that the church can continue to move forward in the ministry of redemption. That does mean preaching and teaching and praying, but it also means leading and serving and protecting the church. And we miss that from many different angles. I think in some churches we expect our pastor to do everything and therefore he can do nothing well. I think some pastors think they don't need to do anything and they can do nothing well. 
I think it's a balance of saying, pastors, what can we do to free you up? Here's another way to say it. Let the pastor do what he is called to do and only he can do. God hadn't called me to play the organ. I'm going to let you out a little secret. I keep telling Darlene this. One Sunday morning, you're going to come in here and I'm going to be sitting beside Darlene and we're going to play a special together. I'm going to do a little Milli Vanilli. I'm not going to really be hitting the keys, but it's going to look like it. And everybody's going to say, our pastor is so gifted. Why do I not play the organ on Sunday morning? Because God hadn't called me to do that. I want to do what God's called me to do. That doesn't mean I can't do other things. But the key is focusing on what God has called us to do. And so many times in the life of the church, the, the pastors are doing so many more things. Now, I've always been a worker. I, I don't mind. I stay busy. That's a, that's a blessing and a curse. For those that are around me a lot, you understand. Does he ever stop? Did he ever stop? I just, I'm busy, hyper kind of. I used to get up early on Sunday morning and, and back in the church in, in, in Indiana because we didn't really have somebody and we had red carpet and I didn't want to see specs of dirt. I just do all that. That doesn't mean I don't do things. But what happens in the church is, think about all the things that somebody else could do other than the staff of the church so that the staff of the church can do what they are called to do. That's all this means. It's doing what we can do so that others can do what they can do. We're not all called to do the same thing, but just do what we're called to do. Now, some of you need to understand you're called to do something. You're not just called to be a toad. You know, sit on a log. And I think sometimes in churches we just think we just sit and attend and listen and walk out the door. That's not a disciple. Thank you, Luke. That's not a disciple. The idea is that we are part of a family. Yes, we got weird cousins in here. I get it. When I go to family reunion, I may be the, the odd cousin. I get it. We're not all the same, but we're a family. Some of us have been here for a long time and it makes us a little nervous when a new person comes in and wants to do what we're doing. Listen, we don't own anything. There's not a thing in this building that's ours. Now, we may put a lock and alarms on it, but it's still not ours. This is the Lord's church. Yes, there has to be structure. Yes, there has to be order. And yes, we have to have sense of stability and common sense. But every one of us that are born again believer of Jesus Christ and are part of this church, this is our church and we are a family. I think that's one of the ministries as a church that we miss so, so gravely. We don't make people feel welcome into the family. And we want them to work their way in instead of us accepting them in. That's not the picture of the church. So we see that the solution is, so you think about us, church. Let's just say hypothetically. Let's just say for the sake of this message, this might be a stretch, we're not a perfect church. Can we just say that this morning? You've got one or two ways to deal with it. You can either bring a bucket of water or a gas can. We either put gas on a situation and make it worse or we pour water on a situation and we make it go away. There's only two options. 
I went to a deacon retreat one time, and the gentleman that did the retreat of the church I was pastoring, that was what the whole thing, he had a black bucket and a white bucket. And buckets sat there the whole weekend. It was driving me crazy. What are those buckets for? And at the end of it, he says, men, you've got one or two choices. You either pour gas on it or you pour water on it. I'm going to tell you what Jesus would say. Put water on it. One of the greatest dangers I see in churches are the leadership of the church doesn't know how to put water on situations because they just won't deal with things in a biblical, truthful way. Every situation that we arise, and I just got ahead of myself, so let's, let's look at the strategy of these folks. This is what they did. There's a situation. One, we're going to be intentional and deal with it immediately. Now, the early church didn't do this. Okay, we've got a situation. We need to form a committee. We're going to get the committee on committees to form a committee. Then we're going to take the committee on committee's recommendation for the next quarterly business meeting. And before we can form a committee, the committee's got to be presented before the church. And then the church is presented before the church. We call a special business meeting by the committee on committee so that we can form a committee in the next business meeting. And then it has to be voted on. Lord, all the widows are dead because they hadn't been fed in six months. The early church just said, listen, there's a, there's a problem. It's not immoral. It's not unbiblical. I mean, it's not a hell or heaven thing. There's just a problem. What, what does the church do? Immediately and intentionally, they deal with it. You know what we do? Well, I hear you're hungry. Yeah, maybe I'll talk to the pastor about that. I don't know why we hadn't fed you. If I would, I don't know. Pastor, I just thought I'd let you know that one of the widows is hungry. I didn't, I didn't want to say anything. Who in the world? It wouldn't last five seconds as a leader in the church of Acts. Widow, you hungry? Yes, because there's not enough people to feed me. We're going to make sure you're fed immediately and intentionally because we don't want the situation to become a problem and then the problem become a distraction it was intentionally and immediately it was personally and lovingly you ever met that dude or dudette that just loves to solve problems always angry all the time pastor I'll be your problem solver just point me to the way you always got extremes in groups. You ever met any group? Don't, don't even talk about church. Any group. I was in the Rotary. They're in Rotary. They're everywhere. You got the passive person. Then you got the fixer-upper. He's everywhere. Ah, bull in a china shop. I'll fix it. Here are the rules. Here are the Rotary rules. I saw Pastor Beck. He missed lunch. He's got to pay a fine. He's out of Rotary. Ah. Here's, I'm sorry. We do it immediately, we do it intentionally. Secondly, we do it lovingly, personally. I don't want to be right. I want to help someone in a time of need and love them. See, that's why I think we miss that. Even church discipline, we see church discipline. It's like, well, we got to do church discipline on people and so... Listen, church discipline is not just to say we do church discipline and we, boy, we're a true church. Even church discipline is to bring about repentance. I mean, I can remember my pastor coming to my dad growing up and saying, Ed, you need to be in church. 
And I remember thinking, how's this going to wind up? Preaching done told Daddy he needs to come to church. Daddy may never come back to church. But you know what the pastor said? Because Ed, if you're not in church, I know what the devil's going to be doing to you. Ed, we love you. We want you in church. Anytime there's a situation, it needs to be lovingly dealt with. The people that are involved with this process, number three, their strategy, spiritual maturity. Pastors, leaders, elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, committee chairmen, anybody leading a ministry needs to be spiritual mature. You'd be surprised the number of times I've heard this. Every church I've ever pastored, so when I say that, I'm talking about us. Every church I've ever pastored, I've heard this. Brother John, I think Billy Bob would be a great deacon. Maybe if we make him to be a deacon, he'll start coming to church. That doesn't even make any sense, does it? Let's make him a leader so that maybe he'll figure out what a leader is. No, full of wisdom, a great reputation, full of the spirit. Hey, let's call a pastor. Maybe, maybe he'll be a good pastor if we call him to be a pastor. He's not really living for the Lord now, but maybe if we make him a pastor, he'll start living for the Lord. But see, that's what we do, and it's just, it's just crazy. They understood that spiritual maturity was key because they are dealing with it, and that's where wisdom comes into play. And then last, so that the main thing can remain. All the disciples were worried about Let's fix this situation so that we can continue to be the church. That's it. Have you ever been at your house and you have an argument? Every now and then Sharon says, okay, time out. John, time out. I know Georgia got beat, but you're not taking that out on me and the cats. Time out here. Sit down. Don't burn your Kirby Smart jersey quite yet, son, honey. Let's just sit down. It's going to be okay. We still get to beat Florida in a couple of weeks. It's going to be all right. Are you better now, honey? I think so. Can I have ice cream? It makes everything better. Yes, you can have ice cream. So that we can move on. They dealt with the situation. Let's take care of our widows. They have nothing. Let's raise up some godly men that are wise, that can handle this. Just because they're wise and godly, they can handle this. Verse 7, and the word continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. You know, as you read the book of Acts, I'm greatly encouraged with this because I realized my first five minutes of being a pastor, I was never going to be a perfect pastor. How long did it take you to realize that? Less than that when you met me, right? The greatest churchman, I can, one of the greatest churchmen in the New Testament was Peter. And he was rebuked by Paul. Why? He got off task. If Peter can get off task, I bet we can get off task. If the church of Acts has situation arising, well, bring it on. We ought to be good. If the church of Acts has moral compromise within and doctrinal compromise all the time, 
we're never going to be away from that. If the church of Acts dealt with it, we're going to deal with it. We're never going to be in a setting that that's not going to happen. But what we have to be people of is dealing with it biblically so that we do not get off task. Our task is joining God in the ministry of redemption. My relationship with the Lord and I worship and love Him so that I can share that love through the gospel message of Jesus Christ to a world that needs to hear it. And the word of God continued. Think about this, and I'm going to close in prayer. God is always so good. The early church had a situation, and they dealt with it. And God says, church, if you remain faithful to me, here's a lesson. Church, if you learn to deal with situations biblically, this is what will happen. If you remain faithful to me and my word, this will be what will happen. And guess what happened? Priest got saved. Can you imagine being in Jerusalem and seeing priests coming to faith in Christ? You would have to be saying, oh my goodness, this gospel is real. This gospel is powerful. When a church remains faithful to be the church, supernatural things will happen in such a way that only, you know, that priest in the community will get saved. That Shannon Marksbury in North Vernon, Indiana that was just smoking dope the weekend before will get saved. And God will do supernatural things in your midst through the power of the gospel if we just stay on task. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth that we have. That it's not my words, but they're your words. And Lord, as we sing about being in the hand of our potter, let us realize that we live in a world that we're remolded and transformed and no matter in the church, in our family, in civic organizations, in our workplace, situations arise. Help us to be people that deal with it biblically. Let us be solution solvers. Let us be people of, of water to distinguish the, the situation. Let us not be people of gas that fuels these problems even more. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for churches in the Orange Blossom Association. I pray for the Florida Baptist Convention. I pray for evangelical churches all over the United States. Lord, raise up godly elders and deacons. Raise up men and women that are full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit and that love your church that will come alongside and lock arms one to another. They will deny their self and their interests and their desires and their own passions and they will take up the cross of Jesus Christ so that we could be the church you've called us to be. Lord, it is so obvious from the perils in the day of our age that the church is losing its influence. And that is not because of you, Lord Jesus, because you are still the head. It's because we have allowed situations to become problems and that we are so distracted. Help us to stay on task. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.